You're listening to the podcast of ASN Kidney News, the news magazine of the nephrology community. ASN Kidney News is a publication of the American Society of Nephrology, the world's largest professional society dedicated to leading the fight against kidney disease. Palliative care is any form of medical care or treatment that concentrates on reducing the severity of disease symptoms rather than striving to halt or delay progression of the disease. It's also a hot-button issue across the country as Congress struggles with health care reform and as the field of nephrology shifts from an exclusive focus on increasing survival to one that provides greater attention to quality of life. In this podcast, ASN Executive Director Todd Ibrahim interviews experts Alvin H. Moss, MD, and Mark Swidler, MD, on the topic of palliative care. I'm Todd Ibrahim, Executive Director of the American Society of Nephrology. Today I'm joined by Dr. Alvin Moss of the West Virginia University School of Medicine and Dr. Mark Swidler of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Dr. Moss and Dr. Swidler, thank you for participating in today's discussion, which will focus on palliative care. Dr. Moss, please define palliative care for our listeners. Sure. Palliative care is really a relatively new subspecialty in the United States. It's a subspecialty in medicine and surgery. It devotes attention to pain and symptom management, to something we call advanced care planning, where we sit down and talk to patients and families to determine their goals for care, the types of treatment they do and don't want at the end of life. And then we try and provide support to the patient and the family, especially as they're approaching the end of life. Dr. Swidler, would you like to add anything to Dr. Moss's definition of palliative care? I would I would agree with Dr. Moss's definition, and I, I certainly would also emphasize that it is offered simultaneously with all other appropriate uh, medical therapy. So that means that whether a person is on dialysis or opting not to choose dialysis as a modality of treatment or discontinuing dialysis, palliative care is appropriate in any and all of those circumstances. It's not synonymous with end-of-life or hospice care. It's not just the absence of a dialysis provision, and it really is appropriate in any and all patients with serious illness, and and what that means is patients that have a high symptom burden, shortened survival, significant comorbidity, and the advanced CKD dialysis patient population, the geriatric patient population, all of those patients really fit the criteria for having palliative care as part of their treatment modality. You had mentioned appropriate medical therapy. I'm kind of curious as to what about non-medical therapy? What are the elements of palliative care that go beyond traditional medicine? Well, in terms of the non-medical therapy, uh, palliative care is really a support system that takes a very holistic, humanistic uh, point of view and tries to connect the patient's medical condition with who they are as a person and explore the personal narrative when trying to walk through the difficult uh, and challenging uh, events that all patients with CKD and who are on dialysis experience. So it really pulls in the family. It tries to get a sense of what is important to the patient, what things make quality of life uh, for that particular patient. It's not a one-size-fits-all but really tries to take each individual patient and in an overall way address the various components which go into that that person's daily existence. The medical part is certainly symptom control. The psychosocial part also is a very important aspect of their care. How does nephrology compare with other specialties in terms of integrating palliative care into practice? 
Well, Dr. Moss, uh, unfortunately, we don't do as good a job as, as we could. Uh, we did a study uh, a few years ago where we surveyed all the second-year nephrology fellows in the country, and what we found out is that they did not receive good training in end-of-life care and palliative care as part of their fellowship. Only a third received instruction on when to refer a patient to hospice or how to treat pain in a, in a dialysis patient. Um, and they rated the training that they received in palliative care and end-of-life care uh, significantly worse than the training that they received overall in their fellowship. So we don't do as well as we could, but the good news is that just in the last few years, there are a lot more resources av available for nephrologists and for nephrology fellows to learn about palliative care and to be able to implement palliative care in the practice of patients. Plus, there are now these physicians who are palliative care consultants who are available to nephrologists that they could consult a palliative care consultant for assistance with pain management for a patient or for assistance with this, you know, the patients in the intensive care unit, they're on a ventilator, the nephrologist thinks the patient probably never would have wanted this, and the palliative care consultant potentially could come in and try and communicate with the patient and family and, and figure out what it is that the patient would want at this point and, and what would be the best outcome. I do want to mention this one website. Uh, it's the uh, Kidney End of Life Care Coalition. It's a national website. If people Google Kidney End of Life, they'll go right to it. It's www.kidneyeol.org, and that will get uh, nephrologists and, and nurse practitioners and physician assistants to a renal palliative care bibliography and many other tools they can use. Are there other resources that either of you would like to mention at this time? Dr. Moss mentioned, I think the web is, is a very rich source uh, for palliative care tools. There is a website that comes out of the Medical College of uh, Wisconsin that has a lot of palliative care points, and they, in fact, have something called Fast Facts, and it's about 150 different, very short, concise summaries of all the different things that form the, the palliative care knowledge base, uh, including use of opioids, use of opioids in ESRD, treating a variety of different symptoms like fatigue, insomnia, delirium. All of these things are symptoms that nephrologists are facing in increasing numbers as they take care of a aging, more sick, chronically ill patient population. The American Board of Hospice and Palliative Care which just assumed subspecialty, formal subspecialty status by the American Board of uh, Internal Medicine, uh, also has a website. It has a yearly conference uh, which gives lectures on a variety of, of different subjects. There's the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, which also has tools. And I think the other uh, thing to mention is that a lot of palliative care programs are now having new ways in which subspecialists can get actual palliative care training. So, for example, at Mount Sinai, we have what's called a visiting scholars program where an attending MD can come and round on the palliative care service for a period of time and also get instruction, directed instruction in different aspects of palliative care. One of the things that we also have done here is we've created something called an integrated palliative care fellowship program, and these are fellows who come who may be doing hematology, oncology, critical care, and they connect a subspecialty fellowship with one year of either palliative care or geriatrics. And 
you know, there's a very close connection between geriatrics and palliative care. So they get actual formal training. They can become board eligible through this one-year program. They get the training, and then they go back and do their uh, particular subspecialty, uh, or they do the subspecialty first. And we are working at this stage to try to create a, a, a nephrology fellowship combined with either palliative care or geriatrics. And I think as Dr. Moss mentioned, these are the kinds of things that start to put palliative care in the subspecialist world. Right. And, and we, as, as well, also our nephrology fellows do a rotation with our palliative care service so that they learn That's great. The, yeah. the tools of, of palliative care as well as how to incorporate that into the care of their dialysis and CKD patients. The other thing I might have mentioned, Todd, is also in terms of resources, the local hospices can be good resources for the dialysis unit. Uh, the average dialysis unit in this country, according to the USRDS data, has one or two patients who die per month. So collate death is something that unfortunately is common in the dialysis unit, and hospices often can um, continue to see patients at the same time the patient remains on dialysis if the dialysis patient is dying from a non-renal diagnosis. So, for example, if a dialysis patient is dying from cancer, they could continue dialysis and also receive hospice for uh, treatment for their pain and other symptoms related to their cancer. So a good resource also for dialysis units is to form a relationship with their local hospices. The hospices can come in. They can assist with advanced care planning, advanced directive completion, which now the new conditions for coverage, you know, require that dialysis units attend to. Um, so there, that's another good local resource. You've both talked about sort of the, the formal educational continuum for physicians moving from medical school to residency to, to fellowship, and in this case to nephrology fellowship. So I guess I have sort of two questions that, that you can separate out. Ideally, how would you like the formalized educational process to work as a student goes through fellowship incorporating palliative care? So that would be one question. And then the second is from a continuing medical education perspective, as you mentioned, um, the American Board of Hospice and Palliative Care and the American Board of Internal Medicine, sort of the formalized um, certification and maintenance of certification process. How would you sort of connect all this in an ideal world to provide the, the, the finest care for patients in the United States? Sure. Well, in an ideal world, medical students would be learning about palliative care and hospice in some sort of formal course during medical school. It's amazing that every patient ultimately will die, and yet less time is spent on the end of life than on many other uh, rare things like pheochromocytomas and things like that that a nephrologist may only see one or two cases during his or her lifetime. So um, more attention in medical school and in residency, certainly it should be part of the fellowship. Nephrology fellows should learn how to do pain management for CKD patients since we know from the studies that about half of CKD and ESRD patients have, have pain and that it can be a, a, a severe symptom that that unfortunately is often undertreated. And then certainly even what the ASN is doing in terms of this podcast or having sessions at the annual meeting or during um, other uh, offerings that the ASN does, all of these are ways of bringing to the attention of nephrologists this is an important issue. It means a lot to our patients and our families. And nephrologists need to be competent uh, at skills in palliative care just like they need to be competent with hypertension control or bone and mineral metabolism or anemia management. Yeah, I, w I would agree with Dr. Moss. Um, uh, certainly the podcast and the fact that uh, we're now in our second year at the ASN of having a geriatric curriculum 
um, which does have some uh, 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 lectures on dialysis decision and such. I mean, these are really amazing breakthroughs and much needed uh, in terms of that new model that we have come to understand, that chronic care model, because the data now shows that dialysis is really a chronic progressive illness that has a lot of symptom burden with it. So getting that training is very crucial to care. And third-year medical students who do geriatrics are exposed to palliative care. They take a one-week rotation. The residents and fellows, as, as Dr. Moss mentioned, rotate through. And certainly in the graduate medical education for fellowship accreditation, we have to teach our fellows geriatrics now and also palliative care concepts. And, and again, these are new introductions that weren't here five or ten years ago. So I think we are making a lot of progress in this, in this field. Todd, if, if I could, if I could, I'd like to sort of say why, because some nephrologists may be listening and wondering, well, why, why palliative care and why is this such an emphasis with regard to our dialysis patients? And um, really, there's there are about three or four major reasons. Dialysis patients live about a quarter as long as the age-matched population who don't have kidney disease. And if you look at five-year survivals for incident dialysis patients versus five-year survivals for incident cancer patients. Dialysis patients live half as long as incident cancer patients, a five-year survival of 35% for dialysis patients versus 70% for uh, incident cancer patients. So many people are, are familiar with thinking of cancer patients as a very sick patient population. They're not used to thinking necessarily that dialysis patients are just as sick, if not sicker. When people look at symptom burden, dialysis patients have a mean of nine symptoms just like cancer patients do, and so they have a high symptom burden, and as, as we know, our dialysis patient is aging, and the median age now is over 64, so Dr. Swidler is talking about the geriatric aspects of nephrology, and clearly the demographics of our dialysis population are changing, and we really need to be looking at geriatric issues and palliative care issues if we're going to do a good job taking care of our patients. Are there examples of either places or programs, institutions that have done a particularly effective job of treating dialysis patients and incorporating palliative care or being at least more sensitive to some of these issues? Uh, yes, there are. I'd, I'd like to mention Bay State Medical Center in oh, Springfield, yeah, Massachusetts. Uh, Lou Cohen and Mike Germain and David Popple there have uh, have actually had a Robert Wood Fountain Robert Wood Johnson Foundation grant to study pain and symptom management. They even have a video on having memorial services for their dialysis patients in the year after their death. And so they've done a lot of research and they've written a lot, and I think they have a model program. I, I would like to say, and not to be proud or anything, that at, at our West Virginia University School of Medicine, we have a close working relationship between our nephrologists and our palliative care team. We frequently see patients in consultation talk about uh, pain management, and we've done research together. We've, for example, identified that the surprise question, would I be surprised if this patient died in the next year, works extremely well for nephrologists making rounds in dialysis units. In fact, we just did a study that we're presenting at the ASN this year showing that our nurse practitioners are just as accurate as our nephrologists in using the surprise question. And if the nephrologist or the nurse practitioner says, no, I wouldn't be surprised if this patient died in the next year, that patient's three and a half times more likely to be dead. And that helps 
if you answer no, I wouldn't be surprised on dialysis rounds, that helps to say, hey, this is a patient I should be thinking about palliative care for. This is a patient that either I or the social worker or a palliative care consultant should be doing advanced care planning with. We should be addressing pain and symptom management issues as well. Yeah, and that program at Bay State, I, I don't know if there's, there is any other program at this time. So that certainly is a worthy program. It, it's the Renal Palliative Care Initiative, and they, they have some, some really model components. And I think there was actually a study that was done looking at palliative care assessment in an outpatient dialysis unit. I think uh, Dr. Cohn was actually involved in that. And what they did was they had palliative care consultants come in and do an assessment, and then they presented the assessment to the nephrologists, and then they followed up a few months later as to whether some of these things were implemented. And although the nephrologists were very happy to have this assessment, they found that, in fact, a lot of the suggestions were not implemented. And I think what this, what this reflects is the known fact that nephrologists are extremely busy, and they are they're really looking at lots of different aspects of medical care. So I think the palliative care input, the fact that you have a good working relationship with the palliative care division who help out in your patients, I think that's a very good thing because I think in the aggregate, nephrologists can get better skills in terms of basic care, but it's also important to be able to work not only, for example, with palliative care specialists, but also with their geriatric colleagues to optimize care in these patients. That really brings me to my next question, which is either from an academic perspective or from how you structure a practice, how best would a nephrologist or a palliative care specialist work with other health professionals? I'm struck by the comment about both your comments, one, about how busy nephrologists are, but also the surprise question and the fact that nurse practitioners are often more sensitive to the answer to that question. So I'm just sort of wondering how you include nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, other health professionals in the care. Palliative care is an interdisciplinary specialty, so it works well to include the nurse practitioners, the physician assistants, the social workers, the dietitians, uh, those people who are usually available in the dialysis unit, but also pastoral care can be very helpful, physical therapy, occupational therapy. So I think, as I said, a close working relationship between the dialysis unit and the nephrologists and the palliative care consultants in the community and, and the hospices in the community um, would be would be the way to go. I know some dialysis units in their morbidity and mortality conferences take take and look specifically, well, Mrs. Jones died last month, how do we do with not only her care all along through her treatments, but how do we do with the end of life as well? And I think using it as a quality improvement type activity could then lead to building some bridges with these other consultants and other resources so that then dialysis patients get quality care throughout the continuum of care, including at the end of life. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 interesting thing is that, in fact, the nephrology community has had a working uh, model, uh, uh, just like palliative care, since since the get-go. They have the multidisciplinary team, which is really the basic core of what palliative care is about. Which means that not only doctors, nurses, but also NPs, social worker, pastoral care, all of these things have been in one form or another elements of dialysis care. So it wouldn't take very much more 
to start adding symptom assessment along with the advanced care planning and healthcare proxies and such to be able to add that to the dialysis care that, that each patient actually regularly gets. And in each dialysis unit, there are monthly meetings, there are monthly assessments of a variety of medical issues, and adding on some palliative care components really is a very, I believe, a very short step with the, with the appropriate education. I think a lot of excellent strides could be made. The other thing that we have in academic medical centers and, and maybe somewhat in private practices as well are, are CKD clinics, chronic kidney disease right. clinics. And the, the research is starting to show that although the elderly are the, that population of patients that are rising most quickly in terms of new patients to dialysis, we're also now finding out that elderly with significant comorbid conditions, and one in particular that's been identified as ischemic heart disease, do not do any better with dialysis than they do with conservative management without dialysis. So for those nephrologists and nurse practitioners who have chronic kidney disease clinics, they might want to consider just looking at which patients are likely to benefit from dialysis, and especially among the older patients, which ones might do just as well, in fact, perhaps better in terms of then not needing to have surgery for a vascular access or some of the other things involved in pre-dialysis planning might do um, just as well, if not better, with a conservative management approach. I don't know, uh, Dr. Swidler, if you're doing that at Mount Sinai or um, in what way you may be involved because you also focus on geriatric nephrology. Yeah, so thank you for the question. I actually do have a geriatric nephrology clinic, which is part of the geriatric clinic, our Martha Stewart Center for Living, uh, where I see geriatric patients who come with a variety of different CKD-related issues and, and other uh, nephrology uh, problems, but I do spend a good part of my time talking to patients about dialysis and whether it's appropriate educating them and their, and their children in a lot of cases because we're seeing a lot of people, as you are, in their 80s and even sometimes older. I mean, I think the new young person is probably in their 70s and Older and oldest are moving toward the 80s and 85-plus, as, as we've seen from some of the data from Corella a few years back, the, the morbidity and mortality in 80- and 90-year-old patients who are faced with dialysis is really striking. So I do get to take care of and, and really establish relationships with older patients at CKD Stage 4 levels where we can start to have a dialogue about dialysis versus what I hope is a, is a concept that will develop more non-dialysis or non-dialytic treatment as a way of saying that when we discuss these things, it's not really an either or, or either you opt for dialysis and there's nothing else, but in conjunction with palliative care concept, uh, concepts to be able to say, well, you can opt for non-dialytic treatment, and this is what that would entail. We're going to take care of your anemia, and as you mentioned, the renal issues will be aggressively treated, but we're also going to concentrate on the palliative care part as well. And actually, in that particular paper that you were mentioning from Murtaugh, what she found was some of those patients that opted for non-dialytic therapy, their survival, some of them survive for quite a long time, and we look at those patients obviously differently than patients who withdraw from dialysis. So a lot of those patients can actually survive for a long time, and if you continuously support them and actively treat their issues, 
then patients and their families actually feel like they are being given another form of treatment which honors their goals of care, which offers hope, and it's not feeling as if something is being taken away. And I think you were mentioning about vascular access. We have also come to understand in older patients that as they progress, their CKD may actually progress more slowly than younger patients so that the chances of reaching ESRD versus dying beforehand become less and less as you get older. And certainly over the age of 85, it's most likely that you're going to die before you get to to ESRD. And then there was just a recent paper which looked at vascular access in, in old patients versus young patients. And what they found was that older patients, especially over the age of 80 or 85, tended to have more unnecessary access placement than those that were younger. And I think in echoing your thoughts about that conservative uh, treatment modality of being able to hold patients a little bit longer before actually putting them through access placement in the oldest old. I think, you know, those might offer patients a better quality of life and uh, another option to proceed. Right. And so part of what we're talking about is the ability of the nephrologist to sort of prognosticate to some extent how well is this patient likely to do, and that's certainly part of palliative care. And the importance of that was was uh, identified in the uh, Renal Physician Association and American Society of Nephrology Clinical Practice Guideline that was uh, published in 2000 called Shared Decision-Making in the Appropriate Initiation of and Withdrawal from Dialysis. And that was a uh, evidence-based uh, uh, literature search that found that there are four factors that predict prognosis, and those can be very helpful to nephrologists and certainly to palliative care clinicians as well. And so we now know that older age, certainly, but decreased functional status, decreased nutritional status, and comorbidity, when you add those things up, if you have a patient who has a fairly significant combination of those things, that patient may be more likely either to do poorly on dialysis or to, you know, or to die before they ever make it to dialysis. And so I think between the surprise question and looking at these other factors, nephrologists can become better at saying, I don't think this patient is going to do well with dialysis. Maybe we should get palliative care involved instead of uh, putting in a vascular access. Nephrologists are the best doctors, so they always want to dot all the I's and cross the T's. So when the GFR gets down to a certain level, uh, the idea of getting ready and having access put in is an important decision. But I think in selected patients, as you mentioned, perhaps the way of treating them might be different than in a younger patient who doesn't have all those comorbidities or all those functional disabilities. So you can wait longer. You might discuss more uh, allowing families to process and feel like they're getting something and not just focusing on dialysis or no dialysis, but just trying to step back and look at what is important and what they would like to try to get to, what their goals are, the big picture we call this in palliative care, where how would you like to spend your days? What are the things that give you most satisfaction in your life? And at a certain point, you know, we put access in and you'd have an older person with an access in for a year or a year and a half. And, you know, they may or may not have, have gotten to dialysis. But again, I think just trying to refocus and say, well, maybe these kinds of patients are a little bit different from the other members of, of our uh, advanced CKD patient population will allow us to perhaps have a little more flexibility with, with how we treat them. 
if you've identified a patient and you want to have that conversation, do you have tips for approaching either the patient or the patient's family and, and sort of how you begin the dialogue? Yes, and in fact, we even call it facilitated advanced care planning at the uh, ASN during the maintenance hemodialysis uh, pre-conference workshop. I'm, I'm actually speaking about that, so my slides, uh, you know, my slides presumably will be available to people who are interested in them. But um, we, we basically uh, sit down and explain to the patient family that we would. Uh, it's a it's a conversation that we have that we'd like to be able to respect their wishes in case they become too sick to make decisions for themselves. And is that okay if we did that? And Usually, we'll do this during our uh, semi-annual uh, long-term care planning meeting that we do with our patients and families every six months, and, and I'll ask them first, uh, just in case you became too sick, who would you want to make decisions for you? Who do you trust? And often, it'll be a spouse or an adult child, and then we'll move on from there to try and find out what types of treatments they would or wouldn't want at the end of life. And, you know, many patients have been sick for a long time, and you know, they clearly don't want to be on a breathing machine in the intensive care unit at the end of life, and, and we can identify that and then indicate, well, then that means that you wouldn't want CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, because, you know, if you lived through the CPR, uh, the studies show that there's a 90% plus chance you're going to end up in the ICU on a breathing machine, and that's where you don't want to be. And besides that, in dialysis patients, it works less than 10% of the time in terms of surviving to discharge from the hospital. And so we get into a discussion like that, and, um, you know, it can be so, some social workers are very good at doing it. Some nurse practitioners are very good at it. Some nephrologists are very good at it. But I, I must tell you, Todd, that back when we did our survey of second-year nephrology fellows, we, sat, we asked them, all things, being, uh, all things being equal, would you consider yourself more inclined towards scientific technical things or social emotional things? And uh, three-quarters of nephrology fellows said they were more inclined towards scientific technical things. And we also did this study with geriatrics fellows, and three-quarters of geriatrics fellows said all things being equal, they were more inclined towards social emotional things. So I think right. a hybrid. <laughs> right. Doctors are wired differently, and so not not you know not probably the majority of nephrologists wouldn't want to have to have a, a long discussion like that, but they might be very happy to have a partner who is more comfortable having that discussion, or a palliative care consultant, or a nurse practitioner have that discussion instead. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a time factor. I think when you have a busy service or your practice has demands, it really does take a lot to to try to sift through that, and and certainly. When patients go on dialysis and they've been through many things, I mean, sometimes it's hard to predict, but talking about DNR in a language which allows patients to understand what you're talking about and not feel like, again, it's always this dichotomy of either or, black and white, not to feel as if there's going to be a sense of abandonment. I think it, you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of conversations. So, Sometimes nephrologists don't don't have the time to really to really get into that, which is not to say that they don't try their very hardest most of the time. But when I rotate on palliative care, I mean we spend a lot of our day with family meetings, trying to explore what we call the the personal narrative, trying to get a sense of what the person was like before they came into the hospital and became seriously ill. So so that palliative care perspective does go more toward the the social and emotional component, but does also retain a scientific uh, component when, for example, using uh, opioid therapy to treat 
patients with CKD or on dialysis uh, uh, for pain issues. I mean, that, that also is as much of a technical skill as anything else that a nephrologist can do. So I think it has both components to it, and it can be very rigorous, but also, yes, there is that, that aspect which tries to, to look at the person as a whole. Perhaps I'm reflecting a bit on the healthcare debate from the summer, but I'm struck that in the United States, most of us are uncomfortable discussing death and dying. And I'm just wondering, given your experience, if you think that that's a fair observation and if you have suggestions for ways that either ASN as an organization can think about this issue or as we go through the, you know, as the health debate continues, are there, there structural things that we can do to, to try to get our arms around this issue? Right. Well, it's interesting. Just a year ago, the National Kidney Foundation did a survey of hemodialysis patients and asked them about end-of-life issues and whether or not they'd want to talk about end-of-life issues. And 95% of the dialysis patients in that survey said they would like to talk about end-of-life issues, but they're waiting for their nephrologist to bring it up, okay? Uh-huh. So that really, I think the ASN needs to let nephrologists know, and there's now accumulated data. Dr. Sarah Davison, who's a nephrologist at the University of Alberta, has done several very nice studies on advanced care planning and even this issue of hope. And she's found out that to talk about these things with dialysis patients actually empowers the patients. They feel they know more what's going on, and they're not they're not scared by these discussions. In fact, they like having them because then they know how to cope and how to plan, and they can tell their family what they want. So I think it's a matter, I think the SN could help by these types of having sessions where nephrologists learn that these are discussions patients want to have by helping nephrologists to know how to get into these discussions and what things need to be discussed. A few years back, Dr. Gene Holly, who's a nephrologist now in Illinois, but who at one point was at WVU School of Medicine and also at the University of Pittsburgh and University of Virginia in the past. We did several different studies looking at these things, and what we found out is even when dialysis patients had talked to their families about their end-of-life wishes, they only a third of the time talked about circumstances under which they might want to stop dialysis. So, um, you know, they were more likely to have talked about feeding tubes or breathing machines or CPR, and they didn't do that that often either. But without knowing what needs to be covered in a discussion, we can't just leave it to patients and families. And so I think that would be helpful for nephrologists to know as well. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, that's why the discussions and the framing of things starting in CKD stage four or five, that that kind of educational thrust at at earlier stages, I think, would prepare patients to to better deal with with all of those kinds of questions. I mean, I think the relationship between a patient and their dialysis machine and this this life-sustaining therapy component of dialysis, which I think at some point maybe patients don't understand that as as much as they could, I think it's very complicated. So these kinds of discussions are, are difficult for them. My final question, it's more on a personal level, but but given how you spend your professional time, I'm just wondering how your own personal views of your own mortality have changed over the course of the last decade or so. I think I became interested in palliative care because for 20 years I was a dialysis unit medical director and made rounds in dialysis units and I saw patients suffering and I I believe in the golden rule do unto others as you would have others do unto you and I didn't like seeing dialysis patients suffering and I thought there surely must be a better way and that got me interested in palliative care and I'm hoping 
since I'm now 60 years old, I'm hoping that as, uh, as we train physicians, the new physicians of the future, that they'll all be better at palliative care. All of them, nephrologists, geriatricians, general internists, everybody will be better at pain and symptom management and identifying and respecting patients' wishes and being sure that we're giving patients the treatment that they want, not treatments that they don't want. Quality is the right thing for the right patient at the right time. And uh, so I think we all want to improve the quality. And as I get older, I think it's becoming more important to me to be sure that the next generation knows how to how to do it so that I, I receive good treatment at the end of life. Yeah, I, I would echo that. Uh, I also had a career as a nephrologist for a period of time and then at some point wanted to enlarge my perspective and, and try to address those very issues and went back and did some more training in geriatrics and palliative care. I think that hasn't lessened my ability to be a good nephrologist, but it, it has added something uh, which is much more global and, and which frames everything else so that looking at a dialysis patient not just as a set of numbers and do an excellent job with following the guidelines for adequacy of dialysis and anemia management, all of those things are, are just very, very well done. But I think that other point of view of looking at these patients who have a symptom burden, who have a life outside of dialysis, who have wishes and concerns, who may be in a situation that they, they don't really agree with, but somehow it got started that way, of being able to, to tell older patients who come to you with CKD stage 5 and a GFR of 14 who have already had amputations and bypasses and, and are wheelchair-bound to be able to say to them, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and, and I understand what's important to you and here's another way that we could possibly do this and this is how we're going to support you. These are some of the concepts that palliative care teaches you. But I, I also want to emphasize it doesn't really matter whether you're on dialysis or not. The important thing is to have that palliative care point of view. It doesn't matter if you're going to continue dialysis or stop dialysis the framing of good palliative care, and you know, I also throw in geriatrics there as well, the framing of the management within those concepts in mind, I think really will, will offer patients a, a much, much better way to, to get through the challenges of advanced CKD and dialysis. Dr. Swidler and Dr. Moss, thank you very much for participating in today's discussion. Thank you for, for inviting me. Uh, me as well. It was a pleasure to, to talk with both of you. ASN Kidney News is a publication of the American Society of Nephrology. The ideas and opinions expressed by participants in ASN Kidney News podcasts are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the society. To lead the fight against kidney disease, ASN helps its 11,000 members provide high-quality care to patients, conduct cutting-edge research, and educate the next generations of kidney care professionals. To learn more about ASN or Kidney News, please visit the Society's website at asn-online.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.